Hello, everyone. Welcome to Teaching Matters. This program is produced and recorded at WUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth, Dean of the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Back in 2018, which now seems like a long time ago, we had episode 120 where we learned about an organization called Persistence Plus that uses modern communication technology to give students behavioral nudges to help them uh, achieve student success, particularly in students' uh, programs where they're trying to get a degree in STEM-related disciplines. We actually have guests returning today. They're not returning guests, even though they're going to be talking about that same program and giving us an update on how that program is working. Dr. Ross O'Hara is the Director of Behavioral Science and Education with Persistence Plus, and also one of my in-state colleagues, Marissa Vernon-White, who is the Vice President of Enrollment Management and Student Services at Lorraine Community College, uh, is also joining us. Uh, Ross and Marissa, thank you so much for being on Teaching Matters. Thank you, Scott. Happy to be here. Ross, I think I'd like to start with you so that we can remind um, listeners who maybe didn't listen to that podcast back from 2018, if you could talk um, briefly about the um, Persistence Plus platform and how it works um, so that listeners can get an orientation towards what you mean by behavioral nudges and actually how students experiences those. Of course, Scott, and thank you for having me here today. So Persistence Plus is a behavioral science platform that sends text messages to college students to help motivate them to remain in college despite all the reasons they might have to um, doubt their, themselves and give up. And so what students experience is a couple times a week, they receive a proactive text message sent to them that may be a reminder about important deadline, but more often than not is ask them to reflect perhaps on the values they have and how they connect to their education or ways in which they've been growing since they um, came to college so that they continue to see opportunities for learning even when maybe they receive a poor grade and feel like um, they just want to give up. And so the project that Scott was talking about uh, was a project focused on students within STEM education in community colleges, one of the community colleges being Lorraine County Community College in Ohio, uh, where these messages were tailored for those students in those very challenging introductory STEM courses to help them keep going. And even if they have a bad grade or a poor experience, don't interpret that to mean, oh, well, I don't belong in science. Science isn't for me, or even worse, like I don't belong in college. College isn't for me. And so uh, we adapt this program to any number of different student populations and at community colleges and four-year schools and different types of programs. And it's proven uh, over, over 10 different experimental trials to be very effective, increasing student persistence rates anywhere up to 10 percentage points. Marissa, turning to you and talking about Lorraine County Community College, um, can you talk about, um, you know, what was the reason why Lorraine thought that there needed to be a intervention like the Persistence Plus um, technology and how you're seeing it play out um, with teachers and students at, at your institution right now? Sure. I mean, I think that we had seen obviously positive impact from the STEM experiments, um, which is, you know, what Ross was referring to um, around sort of a smaller cohort of students. And we saw from that that um, the, the program and receiving the messages and the positive um, behavioral nudges were really having an impact on students' ability to remain in courses and to persist and to tap into that motivation in some of our most challenging courses. And so from that, um, 
you know, as we are constantly trying to find new ways to connect with our students, um, we have a very strong academic advising model at Lorain County Community College that is um, caseload based. So our advisors are responsible for um, a set of students from start to finish um, here at the college and really reaching out and kind of case managing everything that's going on with them. And one of the things that we are constantly trying to do is find ways for that personal relationship to continue between the advisors, our staff, and students. And so it may seem like an oxymoron to um, use, you know, text nudging as a way to support that. But for us, that's really what that's become. So what we do now is uh, we have actually expanded that beyond that original cohort of STEM students. And we have um, different platforms of students that we work with, um, with Persistence Plus to, um, to send out our nudges and to kind of guide students through their experience here at the college. So um, it starts right from the point of application. Um, our students are guided through the nudges um, in terms of their next steps for placement testing and seeing an advisor and, and how to prepare for the semester. Um, our current students then also receive the nudges throughout the semester at critical points, kind of guiding them towards different services or asking if they need help. And then we also um, have a set of messages that uh, support students towards the end of their degree program, starting to think about transfer and, and career. So for us, this has kind of become part of a larger, um, you know, strategic a communications initiative to make sure that our students have the information that they need and that they feel supported through a variety of different modalities. Um, our advising team loves these messages um, because it gives them something to kind of follow up on um, and also takes some of the pressure off of them to constantly be sending out reminders to students about things that are going on or nudging them or motivating them to do different things. They sort of know that that's already being taken care of through the system and through the students' interactions with the system, um, which then really frees up time for them to get to know students one-on-one -on -one, um, and kind of follow up on those nudges and, and see what's going on with them. Either of you can answer this, and and both of you might have um, different stories to tell about this. But can can you give me an example of something that might trigger a nudge? And I, I assume some of that could be pre-programmed by the institution, like advising week is coming up, so contact your advisor. Are there other things that could trigger a nudge? And maybe also give me an example of of what a statement might look like that a student would receive um, on their phone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. I can. I can take a first step. Oh, go ahead, Rob. <laughs> I can take a first stab at that. So, you know, in working with uh, Lorraine County, um, they are really great about thinking strategically about how they're going to use nudging as part of this overall communication advising strategy. And so um, we are always in, in contact sort of to learn about what are they hearing on campus are the pressing needs for students and how are we going to build that into what we're doing with our nudging. So, you know, this goes back several years. Um, and so for one example, you know, um, we were able to nudge students around the Commodore cupboard, which is uh, their college's food pantry, um, because, you know, that was something uh, like any college was out there and advertised in different ways, um, but sort of had this feeling it was being underutilized by those students who are um, in need of support with food insecurity and maybe for uh, a number of reasons, uh, both informational and psychological, not taking advantage of it. And so we, 
actually did was able to do a little test with Lorraine to look at what happens when we nudge students a message uh, that said something along the lines of, you know, a lot of students on campus sometimes struggle with food insecurity, but they can get some help at the Commodore cupboard. How often is this an issue for you and students who indicate that sometimes they are struggling with meals, um, got some follow-up information, not only about the food pantry, but about um, emergency aid resources and other resources on campus and how to find those. And when we did that, we saw that in the month following this message, which we deliberately sent to all the students on the platform at one time so we could watch what happened, um, we saw 46 new families go to the Commodore cupboard, which was a 51% increase over the, the month before. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that's one way these nudges are triggered is we're in constant contact with Lorraine about what are the big issues going on. Um, but then, you know, what students say themselves can also trigger them specific nudges down different pathways. So a student who does indicate food insecurity is going to get those follow-up messages about the financial resources that Lorraine has available, like the Commodore cupboard or the Commodore career closet or emergency aid. But a student who says, like, I'm getting... D- C's and D's in my classes and I'm not happy, they're going to be connected to what's going on, you know, currently with virtual advising and those virtual support services since uh, we are amidst this pandemic and uh, aren't having the in-person support available. Right. Marissa, um, so, you know, Ross's explanation talked about some of the strategic um, issues that you were trying to push through the nudges. Are, Are there any topics you would like to add to that that you think are interesting? Yeah, I mean, I think what Ross mentioned, um, and, and that's one that that was very successful. And I think that what one of the things that that taught us was that for some of the things that are more difficult for our students to talk about, or more difficult to disclose to somebody like I don't have money to pay for food, or I don't have a place to live, or I'm struggling with, you know, depression or anxiety, some of those things that are difficult to bring up in natural conversation, but students need to understand that they are in fact a normal part of being a college student right now, unfortunately. Um, That's really been monumental for us in terms of how we use Persistence Plus. Um, So we have really relied on Persistence Plus to, as another way to connect our students to things like the basic needs that we offer, emergency aid, food pantry. Um, There was a text nudge um, about housing insecurity at one point as well, Um, you know, basically saying, you know, are you a student who struggles with a place to live, yes or no, and then guiding them towards us. So it's really been wonderful to be able to address some of those topics that have maybe some stigma around them, um, as well as some of the more uplifting parts about being a college student, like connectivity and career decision making and celebrating their wins. Um, we, you know, we've been with the system now, um, for several years. And so moving into the spring semester, um, we did kind of take a look at that and say, okay, here's what we want Persistence Plus to really start to, um, to focus in on when it comes to nudging our students. And we do have, um, this coming semester, a couple, um, additional focus points on things like mental health, um, Technology, obviously, in in a new environment, um, guiding students towards help for accessing their online courses or how to use different forms of technology. Um, We also have learned from a lot of our students that they need help when they do get stuck academically, um, but aren't always sure how to ask questions in the online format, or they fear that they may be the only one who has that question. So there's a certain level of fear in um, talking to faculty or talking to other students. And so um, kind of guiding students through 
through some of the academic um, supports and and really teaching them, you know, this is how you can um, ask for help or these are points in which that would be really important. So I think it's always an, evol- an evolution. Um, but those are, you know, some of the things that, that we really utilize it for is to normalize the things that go on as a college student, but for whom students may also feel like they're the only one who is actually experiencing that at the time. You know, one of the interesting things about this technology is it really is meeting the students where they're at in terms of communication channels. I mean, their phone is, you know, so much of, of their communication um, portal. Um, and so from a strategic standpoint for an institution, it's not siloed. It's not just an academic uh, communication tool. It's not just a, so- a student services academic tool. And from the student's point of view, that those 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 different silos are unimportant, right? So at, at Lorraine, how do you all organize your leadership team that is managing your strategy behind this, given that it touches so many different areas of the institution? That's a really good question. So one of the things that we have learned is that you know, it is proven, like Ross said, that when we, um, when when Persistence Plus is sending a nudge to students that actually guides them towards a certain area or towards a certain action, we do tend to see an uptick in access of that area. Um, we learned early on that one of the most important pieces of that is for people to have um, to have an understanding of what these nudges are and the timing in which students may be accessing their services at a higher rate. So one of the things that I do from a leadership perspective is um, coordinate at the beginning of every semester um, to make sure that the advising offices, the financial aid offices, our deans, our faculty, our provost know the schedule of what is going to be coming out to students. Now that's always tentative, of course, because we do adjust you know, with Persistence Plus and it's also somewhat dependent on how the student is responding to the platform. But we do try to provide in general terms, um, these are the moments in which you can expect that students are going to be accessing your service because of something that we're nudging them on. Um, so that's been really helpful. And then I will also say that we have been able to use a lot of the data and the student responses from Persistence Plus to really identify what students actually need. Um, this past semester, we received some of the, um, the student feedback um, that had been typed into the system as a response. And what that helped us with was taking that to our Dean's Council and kind of talking through some of the academic challenges that students had expressed on the platform, um, which then informed along with you know, on-campus focus groups and me meeting with Student Senate and our provost Um, connecting with students as well. All of that kind of comes together then to really prioritize that as something that we're hearing as bubbling up to the surface um, in terms of like an an emerging need for students. So I would say that this is part of, you know, the platform supports the communication that we want to get out to our students and the way that we want to guide their behaviors. Um, But it also provides us with kind of an, an additional data set in a lot of ways. So we don't know the specific students Um, necessarily who are responding, but we can get sort of an aggregate understanding of what the responses are and then start to adjust our services in a more agile way. Absolutely. Uh, Ross, so Lorraine County has been a leader in, you know, using this technology going all the way back to the initial um, STEM um, project. Um, And but I know that your technology is used by a wide variety of institutions, and proudly, I would say Ohio University is among your partners. Can you give um, some descriptions of sort of the scope of how broadly your platform is being used and sort of thinking about it as a large data set? How many students have been touched by this technology in you know, sort of a rough sense? Sure. So, you know, as you mentioned, 
Um, we do work with institutions all around the world, in fact, one of which is Ohio University. Um, and so just focusing on the United States, um, you know, we work with uh, we've worked with a number of both community colleges, uh, many of which have been part of these strategic partnerships like Nudging to STEM Success or um, a project we did funded by the Institute for Education Sciences where we we're focused on near completers, students who are almost to the end of college and trying to provide targeted nudging support to make sure they finish their degree and don't end up with a lot of debt and no credential to show for it. Uh, as well as four-year institutions. And across these institutions, there can be different, uh, a different focus on different subgroups. So we've done programming specifically for first-generation students. That's one thing we've done at Ohio University as well as other institutions. Uh, we work with a number of HBCUs, so we have targeted interventions and, and messaging for students who attend HBCUs. Um, we've done programs for adult learners who are 25 years or older as they're traditionally defined as quote-unquote adults. Um, and so, you know, it's not just moving across institutions, but it's like, what are we focusing on? Is it a certain demographic group? Is it a certain type of program like STEM? And we can adapt these different types of psychosocial interventions to fit all of those um, different areas. So to date, um, you know, I don't have numbers in front of me, but, you know, it's certainly been tens of thousands of students in the U.S. who have received uh, persistence plus nudges. And, you know, by and large, we get really positive response from students. Um, we get a very positive response from students. Uh, usually 90% or more recommend that students, other students at their campus should receive this type of support. And just a lot of um, you know, the end of every semester, there's a lot of just thank yous. This was really helpful. It really kept me motivated when I felt like, you know, everything was too overwhelming and I wanted to quit. And it's only become more important, this type of communication during the pandemic, because A, students are more stressed out. They're more overwhelmed because of everything that's going on. And B, um, we're talking about this a little bit before we started recording, you know, those, those supports, those casual conversations that happen after class in the hallway are gone. Um, and so there's just, you know, the opportunities to learn about what's going on with students and for students to feel like someone's really listening to them and there to support them just aren't there in the virtual environment. So you, you've talked in a general sense about <clears throat> sort of the insights that you've drawn <clears throat> from the students that are um, being impacted by Persistence Plus. I assume with, with your role with the organization um, that you're also doing data mining to be able to figure out um, effective practices. Are there, are there particular areas where you're finding um, through your analyses that these types of nudges are particularly impactful in terms of effects on learning or effects on motivation uh, or areas like that? Or with certain student populations, perhaps? Sure. Yeah, that's a really great question. So, you know, one thing we always see when we're doing data analyses, whether we're looking at a randomized control trial, um, if we're just comparing students we're working with to historical trends at that institution, um, or doing a number of different types of analyses we do to try to understand the impact of Persistence Plus, is that typically the students who we consider the most at risk are usually the ones getting the greatest benefit. So, Typically, we see larger gains from being nudged like this for first-generation students compared to continuing-generation students. Greater gains in terms of persistence for students of color, 
um, than for other students, for students from lower income backgrounds than from students from middle class backgrounds. Um, and so uh, even is really interesting. We're working on a, on a project this summer. We're writing up some results right now as a randomized trial, nudging students who are in nursing and allied health programs, which is an interesting program in which men are usually more likely not to finish than women. And we saw a greater gain from being nudged amongst the men in our, our cohort than, than the women. And so, um, you know, that's something we're always really excited to see is how, you know, these nudges, because they work at this psychosocial level and we've built in these interventions that have been shown in other settings in classroom settings in college settings to reduce uh, gaps in performance that we're helping to uh, increase equity. And, you know, one other thing I think was just really impactful, and it's this is more qualitative or anecdotal, is just the messages we send out to students that really express a lot of caring. And this is really important since uh, the start of COVID-19. You know, when Mar last March hit and so much was going on, colleges were really pushing out tons of information to students about this is how online learning is going to work. And this is how you get virtual advising. And this is how and when you need to move out of your dorm room if they're living on campus. And that was all important information for us to build into our messaging. But sometimes we just tried to stop and send a message that something like, you know, you're okay. Like, this is tough, but you're going to get through this and, and we're here for you. And that just got such a major outpouring of response mm -hmm. Students just saying like, thank you. I needed to hear that. I just needed like a voice saying like, it's all going to be okay. Um, and so, you know, that's just kind of another area we see a really big impact with students is just kind of letting them know like someone's listening and someone cares. That, that, that's really interesting to try to tailor, um, you know, the message to sort of the emotional state that that our students as a whole found themselves in. Marissa, were there specific messaging around, you know, sort of COVID related issues that you all used at Lorain County? I, yeah, first of all, I want to definitely support what Ross is saying, because that's one of the things that I really appreciate about this relationship with Persistence Plus is that, um, you know, like we said in the beginning of, of the podcast here, you know, these are not just informational um, nudges or texting um, that we're sending out to students. There really is more of a positive, supportive, motivational aspect to this um, that really makes them so much more positive. And so um, throughout the, the pandemic, and I am actually scrolling through these right now on my phone because I, I get these. Um, I'm not a student, but I am one of two people at Lorraine who gets these uh, the same way that students do so that I can just see what's being sent out. And um there were things in here like, um, this was from about a week ago. Hey, Marissa, we're here to help you get ready um, for next semester at LCCC. Do you have any concerns about returning? And then the student can text back in workload, online classes, lack of focus, feeling alone. Um, and then it would guide them appropriately on the services, you know, that would support them in, uh, in, in doing so. Um, there's another one from back in November um, that basically asked students, you know, one challenge in online learning is self-discipline especially when, when work can be done on your schedule. How confident are you in yourself to keep up on class on a, a scale of zero to five? Um, I actually responded to that one with a two, which I often you know, kind of play to see what, what the responses will be. And, and the response that I got right back was, you're not alone in feeling like that. Here's some tips. And then it lists some things that I could have done um, to kind of get myself back in a better place in terms of self-discipline. So that what really was very helpful, I think, um, 
you know, as institutions are working so much right now on sort of the logistics, right, um, of how are we going to set things up and how are we going to move students through the semester? And so to have, um, you know, a supportive communication tool that's actually providing the support and more of the positive focus is so helpful. Um, I always share this with, uh, with our Persistence Plus team. One of my favorite nudges that they do is at different points in the semester, they will actually ask um, students, like, what is your main motivation for being in school this semester? Or, you know, what are you looking forward to most after you complete your degree? Um, And then they can, you know, put in their answer. And then several months later, at times in which they know that motivation dips, they actually remind students of what they said. And I think those those small things um, are really what make a difference, especially right now as students are really, you know, needing to exert a lot of motivation um, to continue moving in this environment and with everything else that they're juggling on their plates too. Ross, um, hearing hearing Marissa talk about that, it seems to me, uh, and I would presume that from the launch of, of Persistence Plus until now, you've seen a dramatic expansion of the different types of topics that institutions will nudge students on. So the example you gave of food insecurity probably wasn't on the radar of institutions to to use a platform like this back in the initial um, pilots. Can you can you give a sense of how quickly the uses of Persistence Plus is expanding across these different um, social and 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 academic topic areas? Sure. Um, Scott, you're absolutely right. You know, when we started doing this about seven or eight years ago, like food insecurity wasn't really on the radar like like it is now. And, you know, and research by people like Sarah Goldrick Robb has made it so apparent how widespread it is. And we really started incorporating nudges around that even before some of our partner colleges were fully aware of how food insecurity was impacting their students. Um, you know, certainly, you know, we like everyone else had quite a time last March when the pandemic hit. Um, I remember us having a team meeting to just talk about, should we start to prepare in case all the colleges start to close their campuses right around the time, you know, the University of Washington closed. And, and by the end of the week, you know, 50, 60% of colleges across the country had, had closed their campuses. And, you know, one thing was, of course, shifting this messaging to all be about support with online learning and not only trying to help connect students to the appropriate uh, resources for virtual class and virtual advising and and tips for that self-discipline Marissa was talking about, um, but just trying to let them, you know, a little bit air their grievances. There was a lot of sense of this injustice of, you know, the colleges they were attending made a decision about how their education was going to proceed for these next couple of months. And of course, we didn't know at the time for more semesters beyond that. And they felt like nobody listened to them and nobody asked them and trying to help them deal with some of that frustration. Um, Now, you know, because of how things have progressed with the pandemic, a lot of what our focus this past semester and coming into the semester we're in now has really been on expanding messages around mental health and, and supporting students who are going through, you know, this new level of anxiety um, that it just seems to pervade all of our lives today and making sure students are aware of the mental health resources. And, and like we talked about before, norming those so that students who might feel uh, a stigma around asking for mental health support don't feel that way and will go access those, those resources. And so, yeah, you know, the Persistence Plus 
platform, even though we have a whole library of nudges based on published research on what interventions work for whom. It's this constantly evolving uh, animal because you know the needs of students are constantly evolving, uh, and sometimes in very rapid ways when we have a, a global pandemic. To to that point, um, to what extent, and, and I'm not going to ask you to give away any proprietal secrets that Persistence Plus is working on, but you would have to assume that a technology platform like this will increasingly use um, sort of data mining to be able to create um, best practice responses to students' answers to queries, if that makes sense. So, you know, as 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 uh, Marissa was saying, if I answer two, um, I should be getting a different answer than um, if I answered four and so on and so forth. Is What's the next step in that? So I, I guess... You know, my question is, um, if we have si if we have data scientists like you all working on analyzing this data, do we eventually get to a place where we have um, robust statistical models that would let us give um, appropriate responses to students without a human ever needing to touch that? Yeah, you know, I think I think that's that's the dream. That's what we and you know everyone who works in this space is kind of going for. And I think everyone has a pretty similar picture in our minds of this this day, one day when you can respond to a, a text message or a chat bot or whatever it is with a concern you have. And that technology is going to know not only kind of the answer to your question, but it's going to be customized based on what you have told us in the past about your goals and your values and who you are and the demographic information we know about you. Um, and so, you know, you're going to get a different response if you're a 45 year old um, mother going to school than if you're a 18 year old fresh out of high school in your first uh, college class. And so, um, you know, we can build uh, you know, a lot of models off of our data to try to understand what are the best practices. But, you know, we're also always looking at what's going on in uh, in the academic world of, you know, all these interventions that are being done on college campuses by education researchers and social psychologists that are getting published. And um, so, you know, there's sort of a, a gap there of, you know, they are also trying to figure out best practices in their own way. And if, if they mm -hmm. have um, gaps in what they're interested in, in studying, it's going to leave us uh, with gaps, even if we have all of these um, robust data. You know, just one example is um, there's so many amazing and interesting psychosocial interventions, and I'd say 95% of them have only been tested at baccalaureate institutions. And these in researchers are only starting to try to say, hey, did these work the same for community college students? We always assumed they did, but maybe we should test it. And they're finding very interesting nuances that, you know, as Marissa can very well tell you, community college students aren't uh, baccalaureate students. They have different challenges. They have a different mm -hmm. perspective on the world. And so these interventions do need to be adapted for that uh, population. Sure. There's a flip side of that. Marissa, um, how, you know, at, at Lorraine, how do you all balance the need to be able to scale this in a way that lets you efficiently reach, you know, your target students, but then also, um, for lack of a better term, be able to identify those instances where 
somebody and a human being needs to reach out to a student because of something that you know came up in a response or something like that. I mean, how do you how do you keep the human side of this in there while still being efficiently um, able to use the technology platform? So I think one of the things that um, Persistence Plus is is great about keeping in mind in terms of that human element is that you know the guidance that the platform provides also is guiding students back to us. Um, so the example that Ross used earlier of the food pantry. Um, so it, it's not necessarily just giving students information to go you know access food, but it's driving that student towards the center on campus where there is human interaction. Um, and I think a lot of the, the messages that are sent to students, that is actually what's behind it, is not that the text itself is going to resolve the problem, um, but the response that the student gets is really saying, you know, hey, you are going to want to go talk to an advisor about this and here's what to say. Or, you know, have you considered approaching your faculty member and, you know, here's why you should, or here's why this is very normal. So I think it's it's more of an integrated approach, actually, um, as opposed to it standing up all of the resources in place of people. I think it's actually connecting students back to people. Um, I think especially now, and it's going to be interesting, you know, I know a lot of institutions are thinking about where do we go from here now that we've been working in virtual environments. Um, we looked at some of our data at um, LCCC around when our students are accessing um, Canvas, for example, which is our LMS, our learning management system. Um, and they are accessing it basically all the way until, you know, two in the morning, midnight, two in the morning. Um, so when we think about when our students are active, um, that starts to beg questions about, okay, so then how do we provide services? So if I'm a student and I actually have a, a young son myself and was working on a doctorate um, while he was an infant. And so there were certainly times where I was writing or doing um, schoolwork, you know, late at night when the university I was attending was essentially closed. And so, you know, one of the things that I think this technology really helps with is expanding the reach of an institution that can't necessarily be 24-7. Um, but not necessarily taking away that human aspect. And that's that's been why I think Persistence Plus has been a really good partner to us, is that they're not looking to replace that human element. They're just guiding students back to us so that we can do our jobs better. Um, and I think about some of the, the messages that are more um, aligned with some of those stigmatized topics. Those are students that I have to believe we likely wouldn't have seen otherwise. Um, so if, if I was a student who's struggling financially to the point of being homeless, you know, what are the chances that I may actually walk into, you know, the advising office or the financial aid office or our advocacy center and say, this is where I'm at versus it's just another way for them to be guided towards somebody who can actually help without them having to admit some of these things on their own. Um, so I think that that's, that's kind of the balance um, in higher education, but also in a lot of other sectors too, as we kind of grapple with what does it mean to support people remotely and through things like artificial intelligence and computers and, you know, Zoom platforms, but then how do we also bring in the human element? Because let's face it, you know, students still need that too. Yeah. So, so my, my last question is connected to this. Of course, I'm, you know, coming at this from a communication perspective and, and find the, the platform itself interesting because it's a very unique uh, communication channel for institutions to use. So my question for both of you and Ross, why don't you take it first? And then Marissa, you can come in and, and give your take at the institutional level. 
institutions have all kinds of communication channels that they can use. They have their social media platforms. They have um, the wonderful institutional email blasts and, and, you know, everything else. And it sounds to me like um, the, the text-based platform, the text message-based platform of, of Persistence Plus is uniquely tapping um, a communication channel with students that they're responding to well in ways that they do not respond to those other channels. Why do you think that is the case? Why is text messaging something that students are paying attention to when they ignore everything else? Um, Ross, why don't you take that first and then Marissa, you can jump in. Yeah, that's a really good question, Scott. And, you know, I know a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of focus right now, in, not only in higher education and sort of larger policy about using text messaging to connect people with resources. Um, and we all know, uh, you know, data support this. Almost everyone has a cell phone or almost everyone has a texting plan. So it's something very accessible and um, easy to reach people with. But, you know, I would, I would challenge the premise of the question a little bit. You know, I think that what is making Persistence Plus unique and some of these other interventions that are be done, being done in the behavioral economics or social psychology space is not so much like using text messaging and like t text messaging is superior to email um, or to social media. And certainly partners we work with all the time tell us students don't read their emails, they don't answer their emails. It's really about how you're, you're messaging and what you're saying. And so um, you know, if you're text messaging, one thing on the surface is you tend to be a lot briefer and to the point, um, whereas, you know, we saw, you know, lots of emails going around, say, when the pandemic hit that were pages long of information yeah. and no, you know, in a stressful moment like that, students aren't going to filter through everything and respond to everything they need to respond to with a giant email. But then you also get into issues of, you know, like I talked about before, using these messaging messages that are expressing caring for students or tapping into their values and connecting that back um, and leveraging all these things we know out of social psychology and behavioral economics about motivation. So I think really it's less about what the technology is, what the medium is, and really more about um, the communication strategies that you're using within that medium that's really getting students to respond positively to these nudges. Mm -hmm. Marissa? Well, I think especially for community colleges, um, you know, you mentioned a couple different um, forms of communication, Scott, around, you know, social media, website, email, phone call, um, you know, the texting and nudging. Um, and I think especially for community colleges, that's so important to have that diversity of, you know, where information is housed and how what channels are being used to get information at, because we are working with such a diverse population of students at a community college. Um, so, you know, we suspect at LCCC that around a third of our students have children. Um, we also suspect that, well, we know actually that about 70% of our students are working. Um, and so really, you know, the texting, when you think about how we, we sort of all interact with our phones, you know, one of the things that we've always said about these texts is that even if you're not necessarily fully absorbing the information right then and there, you still see it because it's short enough, they pop up on your screen, you at least kind of open it, look at it, say, okay, what's this generally about? And even that in and of itself provides the reminders that I think people need to kind of like file something back in their mind of, you know, okay, yes, they're right. I do need to talk to my advisor. Or I do need to check my email or I do need to 
follow through on this financial aid piece. Um, so I think that there is something to texting where it's so, you know, it's in our, it's in the palm of our hand. It's right there. Um, we're so attached to our phones that you can't help but, but not see a text nudge that comes through. Um, and I think that that's one of the reasons why um, students respond really well to it. Um, it's a little bit more on their own time. They can respond when they want to. Um, and it's right there. We were, uh, when we first started using Persistence Plus, we, we thought actually that we, that it would be um, very supportive towards our younger students. And what we found, one of the groups that I know Ross didn't um, exactly mention, but our adult learners are actually one of the populations for whom the persistence impact is the highest. Hmm. Um, and our students stay on the platform too, which lets us know that they're certainly getting some level of value from it. They're not actually abandoning it or opting out. So I think that there is something to kind of that generational piece, as well as people just juggling a lot of different things and a lot of different information. And texting provides kind of that avenue where it's in the palm of your hand and you could go back to it several hours later if you need to respond or if you need to take care of something. So um, for us, it's part of, you know, a larger um, portfolio of communication channels. But I think that's so important at a community college because there really isn't a one size fits all. Yeah, I think, um, you know, my thinking and asking that question was that, you know, to me and 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 there's a couple different um, organizations that I get um, similar types of nudges from, you know, whether it's for philanthropy or, you um, you know, various things, right? We all have those. And what strikes me is that a text message um, does not come with some of the same um, hierarchical baggage that some other institutional messaging does. So like, for instance, as a dean, if I send an e email out to my students and my faculty, because it's from the dean, um, I know that there's going to be a certain percentage that will just ignore it. <laughs> there will be another percentage that will read it because it's from the dean, probably smaller. And, and you know, it, that just happens because they know it's from me. Whereas if that same message, you know, shorter, not pages, I agree with that, um, was sent out that didn't have all of that additional information about who it's from, et cetera, et cetera, um, then it it doesn't seem quite as intimidating in some ways. And that's at least my experience with some of the messaging platforms that that I'm attached to with my text messages. So I think that's really interesting because, you know, in the communication field, we spend a lot of time saying the medium is the message and text messaging sort of by definition strips a lot of the medium features out of it, you know, unless you're using em emojis and things like that. And I just find that really interesting. And I think that in some ways, it's a less intimidating platform than some of those other institutional platforms that that we ask students to utilize at times. So I think that's a fascinating thing from a communication perspective. I guess my last question is um, going back to the pandemic. Um, obviously, we're we're not really, you know, we're at a phase in the pandemic where it's hard to say whether we're halfway through it or three quarters of the way through it or still on the uphill. I mean, it's just hard to say from one day to the next. Um, from both of your perspectives, when we do get to a place where un the university and college experience is is quote unquote more normal, um, how do you? What what are some of the types of messages that you think? a platform like Persistence Plus could be used for to help students and perhaps even staff and faculty members make that transition back to an in-person learning experience? That is such a great question. I'm actually trying to put myself in that future state. <laughs> what will that look like when we're all back? Um, you know, I think that higher education is, is going to be fundamentally changed, right? We've sort of all accepted that. Um, students have now 
experienced a level of flexibility that they it's going to be difficult to peel back. Um, and so I do think that a lot of that question is dependent on how universities and colleges sort of respond to this new way of learning, this new way of interacting with students. Um, I do think, though, that we may need to relearn how to connect with one another. Um, mm -hmm. I think that, you know, if we if we were all just working and going to school remotely for a few months, um, I don't think that we would have lost any of those skills necessarily. Um, but I think that because we've settled into this so much more um, of, you know, closing in on a year, um, I do think that we're, we may need to be nudging people to kind of come out of their shell again and to connect. And the placement of engagement as being one of the primary um you know, components of education and also of workplaces is going to, it's going to kind of reemerge as something that we're probably going to need to foster um, in a way that was actually very natural before. We never, we just engaged in it. We didn't really think about it. Um, I also think too, you know, we've been having a lot of conversations at, at LCCC about, you know, who isn't showing up and who isn't engaging and who isn't accessing higher education. And I think that um, you know, text nudging platforms like this are going to be really important to reach those individuals who may be um, more timid about coming forward, maybe more um, intimidated by asking for help or, um, you know, showing up in person or, or in a physical space. Um, so I could see that, you know, a platform like this might be very helpful in helping that transition back to connectivity and sense of belonging and, uh, you know, connection with others. I think that's going to be something that we're going to have to revisit, you know, in the coming years. Yeah, very much so. Ross, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I, I agree with everything Marissa said. And I would also, you know, I'm thinking about those students who might struggle getting back into education. Um, you know, I was looking at some of the, the student responses from Lorraine students uh, before uh, joining today's podcast. And, there, you know, there was one student who uh, we asked sort of an expressive writing exercise to try to alleviate anxiety. We asked them just to kind of share their feelings. And they, they talked about how this past semester they, um, they got COVID-19. They were extremely sick from it, though they uh, thankfully recovered. But during that time, they lost a job. And at the end, they said, you know, I passed all of my classes, but not with the grade I intended, which is to be expected if you have all of those barriers. I'm very impressed with the student that they kept going in all of their courses despite that. And so you're going to have those students who feel like, you know, they're still in school, but, you know, their, their whole situation was damaged. They, you know, they were a, a B, A student and they got C's all through this. And now they just don't know how to like to really recover or whether it's worth it to finish. And then those students who, you know, we've heard from a lot of students who said like, I don't like online learning or I'm too busy and too overwhelmed for this right now. And I'll come back when the pandemic's over. And they may have said that when it was like, when we thought it was going to be one semester. Now it could be three or four semesters before, you know, it's back to quote unquote normal. And how do we connect with those students to try to get them welcomed back into higher education and feeling positive about their their chances of success. Um, I think that's going to be one of the really important um, things that, you know, we're going to think about using all those different communication strategies and mm -hmm. platforms we were talking about to try to do that. Well, I want to thank you both for uh, giving your time today. I remember stating um, two years ago when I first learned about um, Persistence Plus and we had that initial podcast um, that this was a really exciting technology and hearing 
the two of you talk about it um, a couple of years later uh, just reaffirms that impression that I had. And of course, I know that um, we at Ohio University are very um, excited and pleased with the results that we've had. And, and I also, uh, Marissa, want to commend um, Lorraine for being, you know, really one of the leaders, especially um, in the state of Ohio in implementing this technology. So the two of you are doing great work and thank you for being guests on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Scott. Absolutely. And thank you for listening to Teaching Matters. Remember that this is produced by WOUB Public Media in Athens, Ohio. You can always listen at woub.org slash listen, or you can also access the podcast on any of the popular podcasting apps. You can contact us through our Facebook page. Simply go to Facebook, search for Teaching Matters Podcast, and send us a direct message. Our audio engineer and associate producer is Adam Rich. I'm your host, Scott Titsworth. Have a great day.